Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. <laughs> it's March 25th, 2018, and that means there's nine months left until Christmas. Today on the show, it's a tale of triumph and tragedy as we recount the rise and fall of Toys R Us. Plus, we'll count down your top five non-Christmas Christmas songs. We'll look at some Christmas coming to the small screen this year. Decide who sang Wonderful Christmas Time best. You'll help me write a Christmas movie. And we've got a tasty treat from the East. All right, let's start the show. Howdy ho ho ho. Spring has sprung, but our heart is still in winter. Not really. I'm ready for all this cold and rain to be gone. I live in California for a reason, but I'm always ready for more Christmas, which leads us to our first segment on today's show. We need a little Christmas now. We need a Today we're going to make some cookies that you can enjoy anytime, but you will often see at Christmas parties. We're going to make some Russian tea cakes. Did somebody say Russian? Uh, yeah, I did. We're going to make some Russian tea cakes. I will help you. Oh, okay, great. Could you help me understand why they're called Russian tea cakes? No one knows. What do you mean no one knows? I mean no one knows. Some people call them Mexican wedding cakes, but this is not wedding podcast, it is Christmas podcast. Fair point, but how did they get associated with Christmas? They are sweet and they look like tiny snowballs. Why are you asking so many questions? People want to get tea cake recipe and not hear your jibber-jabber. I mean, people literally tune into the show just to listen to my jibber-jabber. Just open cupboard and get ingredients. Okay, okay, what am I getting? Half cup powdered sugar. One teaspoon vanilla. Two and one-fourth cups flour. One cup butter. Three-fourth cup of chopped nuts. What kind of nuts? Whatever you want. Hazelnuts, almonds, walnuts. You pick the nut, but you stop interrupting ingredients. All right, so sorry. What else? Fourth teaspoon of salt and powdered sugar. You already had me get a half cup of powdered sugar. That's right. Now you're going to get more. Just leave the bag out. You will need it. Trust me. Now heat oven to 400 degrees. Okay. Now put butter, half cup of powdered sugar, flour, nuts, salt, and vanilla in bowl and stir. Okay. Are people supposed to believe you are doing this as I talk because there is no way you measured all that and stirred it up already? Now who's holding up this segment with pointless jibber-jabber? Fine, fine. So now you must mix it all together. Be sure to mix it nice and good. If you are still seeing unmixed flour, you are not done. You want it to be very clumpy so you can roll it into balls. Why? Because the next step is rolling the dough into balls. How you not see that coming? Right. Then place balls on cookie sheet. Leave inch of space between and bake for 10 to 12 minutes. Don't let them get too brown though. Put them on cooling tray, but don't let them get too cold. While they are still warm, roll them in the extra powdered sugar. See, I told you you would need the extra. And then, voila, you've got yourself festive treat any day of year. Thanks, Mr. Russian guy. Please, please. Mr. Russian guy is my father. Just call me Russian guy. Okay. Well, thanks, Russian guy. And just in case you weren't taking careful notes, I've put a link to the recipe in the show notes of this episode at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. And while you're there, be sure and leave a comment if you try out this recipe. Let us know what you think, especially if you make any alterations. 
Speaking of feedback, your reactions to last month's countdown feature has inspired a whole new list for today's show. So let's kick off five golden things. So last time I talked about my favorite five non-Christmas songs that have been taken over by Christmas. I was having so much fun, I asked you to send me your favorite non-Christmas songs that remind you of Christmas. And you guys stepped up in a big, bad way. So let's jump in with... Number five. Ode to Joy. This was an email sent to Christmas at Tancast.com from Anne, who writes... How are you going to do a segment on non-Christmas songs that Christmas has claimed as Christmas songs and leave out the song that begins and ends your podcast, Ode to Joy? Anne is right. Ode to Joy is the final movement of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, making use of the words of a 1785 ode written by Frederick Schiller. And it has nothing specifically to do with Christmas. Number four. Bobbles, bangles, and beads. Bobbles, bangles, this one came in as a comment at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com from Brighton, who says, My favorite non-Christmas Christmas songs is Bobbles, Bangles, and Beads by the Kirby Stone 4. I first heard it through Mark Evanier's News From Me blog. He wrote about it in exactly this sort of a, doesn't it sound like Christmas but isn't, context. Indeed, there is nothing explicitly Christmassy about it, and I rarely hear it in any Christmas mix of my own, but its background tingling vocals, upbeat rhythm, and sound, coming from the same recording area as many of our classic Christmas songs do, all just feel like a Christmas song to me. Best part? Since no one else associates it with Christmas, I can listen to it all year long without getting funny stares. Thanks, Brighton. Now, I'd never heard this song before, but, I mean, you're listening to it underneath me as I talk. It sounds super Christmassy. Number three. Winter Wonderland. Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? In the lane. Snow is glistening. A beautiful sight. We're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. This was a comment on our Facebook page from Dave, who says, Songs that have been co-opted by Christmas. Winter Wonderland and Frosty the Snowman seem to be lumped into the Christmas genre with no mention of Christmas in them whatsoever. Like, what's the deal, Christmas? Thanks, Dave. Now, I'm giving you Winter Wonderland because it doesn't seem like it was written to be specifically a Christmas song, but Frosty was actually written to be a Christmas song to duplicate the success of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So, half credit? Nah, you know what? I'm an easy grader. I'm still going to give you full credit. All right, moving on. Number two. Penny is from heaven. And every time it rains, it rains. Penny's from heaven. Shoo-be doo Don't you know each cloud contains Penny's from heaven? Shoo-be doo You'll find your fortune falling all over town. Be shining your umbrella. He's up, 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 upside down. Another comment from the website, this time from Adam. He says, regarding non-Christmas songs stolen by Christmas, I often find my favorite Christmas movies have added some songs to my mind that make me feel Christmas giddy all throughout the year. For example, Pennies from Heaven in Elf. He lists more, but I specifically sign off on this one. And so did fellow commenter, Marsha. This song is part of a great scene in Elf that will make it feel like a Christmas song to you. Honorable mentions. It's a small world. It's a world of 
actually comes from my kids. I usually let them take turns picking what songs we listen to in the car. Inevitably, my youngest wants to hear It's a Small World. And then my oldest will get to pick next. He will always ask for the Christmas version of It's a Small World. Clearly, the song itself has connected itself to Christmas for him. Number one. When you wish upon a star. When you wish upon a star as dreamers do. Another Facebook comment, this time from Jolly. She actually lists three songs, but I'm going to focus on the last one. She says, Swedes think Disney's When You Wish Upon a Star is Christmas because it's played every year at the end of the Disney Donald Duck Christmas special since the 1930s when the same cartoon, basically, it's recently been edited for political correctness, was played in the movie theaters every hour on the hour. It has been shown on TV every year at 3 p.m. on Christmas Eve since the 60s. So I looked this up, and it's true. There's a tradition in Sweden to play this old Disney Christmas special every Christmas Eve. They have talked about stopping it, and people have lost their minds. It's something I must dive into in a future episode. You know Swedish people don't actually sound like that, right? Not like you would do the Russian voice down the very okie-dokie. Mm. Uh, I guess. I'm pretty sure that was a fair criticism. <laughs> and wait till you hear my German accent a little later in the show. Work, work, work. Good boy. But that's it for this list. If there are still more we've left out, comment, tweet, Facebook, or email them to me, and we could do this list over and over forever. But believe it or not, those are not the only comments we got about the last episode. So let's move on to our next segment, feedback from our last show. Messages from listeners everywhere. Feedback on our last show. Feedback on our last show. Last episode, I talked about how I just left a few subtle decorations up from last Christmas so I could have a little Christmas around the house all the time. Well, this inspired a tweet from Todd who says, I accidentally left the mistletoe up and I haven't had the heart to take it down. And then he shows a picture of it uh, still hanging in his house. Now, obviously, I fully support this, Todd. What better way to extend the season than with extra Christmas kisses? Great idea. That way I have a whole 12 months to try and get Anne Hathaway to come over to my house and stand under it. Yes, this has got to work. There are no flaws in this plan. Anyway, that was great. But I need even more listener feedback, so let's open up Santa Bab's mailbag. Santa Bab, he is gonna read some emails from you, or tweets, or Facebook messages to Santa Bab, he is opening up his mailbag tonight. This was left on our Facebook by Dwayne, who says, Hi Tim, I just want to let you know that the podcast has officially gone aqua. Let me explain. Episode 34 highlighted some truths. I'm 47 years old and carrying a few Christmas seasons worth of weight. So, following your example, I've decided to do something about it. Plus, hearing that Kevin Smith, also 47, having a heart attack, we are similar build, put the heebie-jeebies up me. Kind of like being visited by three ghosts, perhaps? My exercise of choice is swimming, but it is so boring without being able to listen to something. Well, good news. Christmas has come early for me. I found some waterproof MP3 players with headphones. I loaded up some episodes of this wonderful podcast, and now I'm listening to you underwater. So thanks for the inspiration and for keeping me company while I do this. I'll keep you updated with my progress, maybe by audio clips or video blog, perhaps, or text updates at least. By the way, it's funny to see people look at me laughing or even repeating some of the things you say in the podcast out loud while aqua jogging. Cheers, Dwayne. Good luck with the change in lifestyle, Dwayne. I hear swimming is a fantastic exercise, but I had no idea waterproof MP3 players were a thing. 
But if you're listening to this in the pool, I just want to say... Okay, even though it's only March, there has been some Christmas in the news as of late. So let's kick off our next segment, All I Want for Christmas is News. Baby, all I want for Christmas is news. Yeah, give me that news, baby. The big news that was just announced a few days ago by Entertainment Weekly is that Hallmark Channel will be releasing 34 new Christmas movies this year. That breaks the record of 33 new movies that they set last year. This is great news for fans of their original films, and even better news for Danica McKellar, who will be starring in at least one of these new films. I love Danica on The Wonder Years, and she deserves to be in more things! Anyway, they'll start rolling these out on October 27th on the Hallmark Channel and their sister channel, Hallmark Movies and Mysteries. But, not to be outdone, the Lifetime channel is more than doubling its new original Christmas movies this year, from 6 to 14. So start clearing out space on that DVR now, you're going to need it come holiday time. In other, sadder news, the Disneyland Resort announced that the Bugs Land area in Disney California Adventure will be closing by the end of the summer to make way for Avengers-themed attractions. So we'll be losing one of my boys' favorite rides, Heimlich's Choo Choo Train. Oh, that's terrible! But what does it have to do with Christmas? I'll tell you, imaginary listener, who sounds a bit like Heimlich but definitely is not Heimlich, Bugs Land was one of the greatest spots for Christmas decorations in Disney California Adventure. The whole land was themed to be from a bug's point of view, so everything was made up of giant versions of human things. The benches looked like they were made of huge popsicle sticks, the fences looked like huge tinker toys, the bathroom looked like a huge tissue box, and that extended to Christmas. They decorated with huge strands of Christmas lights strung above, huge Christmas ornaments, and it was a rare place you could find Christmas lights year-round because they used another strand of Christmas lights to light the bumper car attraction. I'm sure Bugs Land wasn't many people's favorite area of the park, but it gave us parents with small kids a fun place to hang out, and all of us Christmas fans a great Bugs Eye view of Christmas. Bugs Land, you shall be missed. Our last bit of news isn't much happier, but it also ties into our main feature for this episode. Fireplaces glowing, icicles growing, hearts overflowing with cheer. It's that wonderful season we all find so pleasing. The Toys are Us time of year. The world's biggest toys, toys, toys are us. The biggest selection, toys are us. It's the Toys are Us time of year. Yes, by now you've no doubt heard the news that Toys R Us is set to be closing all of its nearly 800 stores in the U.S. as well as its stores in the U.K. and Canada. Now the details on this story keep changing as I write this, so instead of just talking about the details of the closing, I thought now would be a good time to look back at the history of this toy store chain that has been a part of so many Christmases for the past six decades. It all was started by a man named Charles P. Lazarus, who coincidentally just died a few days before this recording. So before I go any further in this story, I'd like to send our most sincere sympathies to his family and friends. He certainly will be missed. Now, in 1948, he was just returning from his service in World War II to his family home in Washington, D.C. During his time in the war, his fellow servicemen kept talking about how they couldn't wait to get home and start a family. So he had the great idea of converting his father's old bicycle shop into a children's furniture store called Children's Supermart or Children's Bargain Town. This business was certainly successful, but his focus changed when a mother came in looking for a toy for her child. He explained more in this interview. Somebody came in one day and said, how about a toy for my baby? 
I looked at him and said, what do you mean a toy? Well, you know, something to play with in the high chair or in the playpen or in the stroller. So the first toys we sold were baby toys, all baby toys. And they were a company called Childhood Interest that made very nice baby toys that sold for a dollar or 89 cents or something like that. They were moderately priced goods. And then I guess I discovered as we went on, by the time the second baby came, they didn't buy a new high chair, they didn't buy a new crib, they didn't buy a new bathing thing, but they did buy new toys because the toys from the first baby were gone or they just wanted new things. So the toy business was a repetitive business, while the baby furniture business is once you had a baby, if you had a baby a couple years later, you might buy a new mattress for the crib, you might buy accessory items, but you didn't buy the basic stuff again if your child was three years old and you put the new baby in the crib. So he started to shift his focus from furniture to toys, adopting a mascot, Dr. G. Raff, who would be featured in print advertisements, saying the store's slogan, Toys R Us, with the R spelled backwards so it looked like a kid wrote it. He expanded to a second store. That too was successful, and they were able to keep expanding, due in no small part to the baby boom that hit the U.S. after the Second World War. But now, other people were getting the same idea, and Lazarus wasn't the only game in town. Other stores specializing in toys started to pop up. Lazarus knew his store needed an edge. He took a page from the emerging self-service supermarket store model and designed his stores to be supermarkets for toys. They would offer every toy imaginable and offer the most popular toys at deep discounts. That way people would think, If the most popular toys are discounted, surely the entire store must be full of bargains. Thanks, Nonheimlich. You're welcome. Basically, Lazarus wanted his stores to be synonymous with toys. Children's Bargain Town for Huffy Boys or Girls 20-inch Dragster. Bargain Town's low everyday price, $28.87. Toys are un- Bargain Town, Bargain Town, Bargain Town. Soon, Toys R Us went from being the tagline to the name of the stores. In addition, Dr. G. Raff was given a makeover and became Jeffrey. I don't know if he lost his doctor status or if it was some sort of honorary title that he just stopped using, but now he was a fun-loving cartoon giraffe that became an icon in his own right. Later on, he started appearing in their TV advertisements with a wife and a kid. And in at least one instance, he was voiced by the man who sang You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, Thurl Ravenscroft. Moms and dads, are you looking for a bicycle, tricycle, football? Looking for a model kit, chess set, doll? Looking for game time, play time, fun time? Well, stop your looking and start to shop, and it's a store that has them all. The world's biggest toy stores, Toys R Us. The biggest selection, Toys R Us. He eventually spawned his own merchandise. Think about that. The toy store created a character to sell toys that became so popular they made toys of the thing that was meant to sell toys. It's like Toyception. He also had cartoon strips and started making live appearances at the stores like Disney characters do at their theme parks. He got several makeovers over the years, most notably in 2001 when he was changed from a cartoon giraffe into a realistic looking one designed by special effects wizard Stan Winston. The guy who made Michael Jackson a werewolf in the Thriller video. He was the one who made the, the actual dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. And he designed Robert Downey Jr.'s first Iron Man costume. From then on, Jeffrey was voiced by Jim Hanks, talented voice actor and brother of Oscar winner Tom Hanks. Hey, did you read a book to the kids? No, their friend Jeffrey said he'd read him one. Who? And here on the next page, there's Chicken Dance Elmo. Yep, that's him. Just look at those feathers. And Leapfrog Leap Pad over here, turn. Ooh, Spider-Man Web Blaster with authentic web goo. Now that's a toy. 
Okay, let's go back to page two. Oh, I love page two. Look for the big toy book with lots of low-priced superstars. Only at Toys R Us. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to spit on you there, kids. I just get so excited. Okay, next page. But it wasn't all good times in eucalyptus trees for Jeffrey and the Toys R Us team. You see, in 1966, Lazarus sold the chain to Interstate Stores Incorporated, which allowed them to expand all over the United States, which was great until Interstate Stores filed for bankruptcy in 1974. The company was restructured and Interstate Stores became Toys R Us, Inc. with Lazarus in charge. Then, a few years later, something would hit that would be a real boost to the toy industry. Star Wars figures, R2-D2, Chewbacca, Luke, and Princess Leia, they're the Star Wars early bird set of figures. These action figures are not yet available, but this Star Wars early bird certificate package is in stores. With this colorful Star Wars picture display stand and certificate to send in to get a set of figures by mail. They'll be sent to you at home between February 1st and June 1st. The Star Wars Early Bird Certificate Package, new from Kenner. Star Wars was a monster hit at the box office and in the toy stores. It really made the industry aware of how much money could be made using media properties. So, of course, they carefully selected the best, most compelling stories and made toys that would complement them. I'm kidding. They came up with new toy ideas and then designed cartoons that were essentially 30-minute commercials for those toys. Transformers, He-Man, My Little Pony, G.I. Joe. Kids would watch these shows every Saturday morning, and in the middle of these commercials posing as entertainment, there would come a commercial that has become an iconic piece of entertainment in its own right. I don't want to grow a fun toys rocket. They got a million toys and toys are us that I can play with. jingle was co-written by crime novelist James Patterson. Doesn't that blow your hair back? Anyway, for the other co-writer, Linda Kaplan-Thaler, it was her first major ad campaign and she wasn't sure if the Toys R Us executives would like it. But her boss encouraged her to make the pitch because he couldn't stop singing it. And neither could America. The jingle was used again and again by Toys R Us. They would adapt it every Christmas to feature the toys that were hot that year. The jingle became so iconic that in 1996, they found some of the kids who had starred in the original 1982 commercial and had them reprise their roles, essentially singing with their younger selves. I don't want to grow up, fun Toys R Us kid. They got a million toys at Toys R Us that I can play with. I don't want to grow up, I'm a Toys R Us kid. They got the best for so much less. You'll really flip your lid. From bikes to trains to video games, it's the biggest toy store there is. Gee whiz. Another factor in Toys R Us's success in the 80s and 90s was that they fully embraced the emerging video game market. Atari, Nintendo Entertainment System, Sega Genesis. Toys R Us had all the popular game systems and all the games. Lazarus knew that video games were more than a fad and his ability to adapt to the changing toy landscape really paid off. Sadly, when he stepped down as CEO in 1996, that was a virtue that the company did not retain, and that is part of what led to its eventual downfall. In the late 90s, there was a change in the landscape that was eventually good for this podcast, but one of the factors that led to Toys R Us's demise, the internet. While other businesses were embracing the World Wide Web as a way to reach out and interact with their customers, Toys R Us didn't even have so much as a GeoCities page. Then Toys.com came along and filled the online toy void. 
Toys R Us scrambled to compete, but they found that they were behind. They couldn't do it on their own. So they entered into an exclusive deal with Amazon.com, who would get exclusive rights to sell Toys R Us toys online. The problem was, the deal was expensive on Toys R Us's end, and Amazon was also selling toys from other retailers. So their competition was on the same side as they were. Toys R Us sued to get out of the contract, but that took a further toll on them financially and didn't get them any closer to an online strategy. Compounding their troubles was the rise of big box stores like Walmart and Target. They decided they wanted a piece of this lucrative toy pie and started increasing their stock of toys and offering them at a deep discount. And people started getting their toys at these big box stores where they could also get other things in the same trip. Eventually, Walmart surpassed Toys R Us as the leader in toy sales. Now, Toys R Us was in debt and was bought out by three private firms in something called a leverage buyout. Now, I am not an economist, so I won't give the best explanation of this, but basically investment companies take out loans to purchase companies. And once they do, that loan is now a debt on the company. So in this case, Toys R Us went from having about a billion dollars in debt in 2005 to over five billion dollars of debt in 2006. Well, as long as the economy stayed strong, the revenue could be used to pay down that debt and they could emerge stronger than ever. As long as there wasn't a total economic meltdown in 2007, they'd be okay. Right, guys? Everything's gonna be right, right? It's gonna be fine, right? <laughs> no. Yeah, well, you know how that story went. The economy tanked, and what's the first thing you stop spending money on when times are tough? Toys. So now, Toys R Us is just paying down the interest on their huge debt and not putting a dent on the principal. Meanwhile, the market is changing and Toys R Us doesn't have the resources to adapt or innovate. They can't renovate their stores. They can't invest more money in their people. And meanwhile, Amazon has become a juggernaut as online shopping takes off like a wildfire. A wildfire that unfortunately burns up any hopes of Toys R Us making a comeback. They had planned to file for bankruptcy after the 2017 holiday season in order to restructure and get a plan to move forward. Unfortunately, word got out, and all Toys R Us vendors demanded their payments before the holiday season. It's like that scene in It's a Wonderful Life where everybody is demanding their money from the Bailey savings and loan. And unfortunately, they didn't have George and Mary's honeymoon money to bail them out, so they had to declare bankruptcy early, without a solid plan to emerge from it. And finally, it was announced earlier this month that they will be closing down all their stores for good by the end of this year. So this appears to be the end for Toys R Us. Now, I should point out that just as I was getting ready to record this episode, the people behind the Bratz dolls have started a campaign to save the chain. I think they started a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe to raise $800 million. That seems unlikely, but who knows? Maybe some other toy companies will chip in. Because despite its decline in recent years, Toys R Us still makes up a good chunk of all sales from brands like Mattel, Hasbro, and Lego. The loss of the chain will more than likely be a substantial cut into their profits. Although, in the wake of the Toys R Us announcement, KB Toys has made rumblings that they might come back for the holidays this year. They're talking about adopting a similar model to the Spirit Halloween stores and just move into an empty storefront and sell toys only for the Christmas season and then move out until next year. Could that work? I don't know, I guess we'll see. But it's for sure there will be a void left when Toys R Us is gone. Not only in the toy business, but they were very active in charitable causes from Toys R Us's Children's Fund to their extensive support of Toys for Tots. Personally, I'm not sure how to feel about the closing of Toys R Us. On one hand, it's a company, so why should I get emotionally involved? On the other hand, I've got a lot of great memories of going to that store as a kid, and even taking my kids there over the past couple years. On some third hand that I have for some reason, I can't help but remember that when Toys R Us first came to my hometown, I was pretty excited to be getting a second toy store in town. You see, we already had a toy store in my town called Pardini's Toy Box. It was owned by a family named Pardini who lived in town, and it was great because it was also a hobby shop where my dad could get supplies for the models he used to like to build. But then, not long after Toys R Us came to my town, Pardini's went out of business. I'm sure that was the case for a lot of mom-and-pop toy stores when Toys R Us came to their town. So maybe this is some sort of poetic justice for all the little toy stores out there. 
I don't know. That sounds like a grown-up talking, and I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. There's a million toys at Toys R Us that I can play with. From bikes to trains to video games, it's the greatest toy store there is. Gee whiz, I don't want to grow up. Cause if I did, I couldn't be a Toys R Us kid. I don't want to grow up, don't want to grow up. I want to be a Toys R Us kid. Moving on. With 34 Hallmark movies coming out this year, we've got to get our pitch for our Christmas movie made. So I'm going to get your help in our next segment, All the Hallmarks of a Great Christmas Movie. So I've taken the skeleton of a Hallmark movie and ripped out all the details. Then I've reached out to our wonderful followers on Twitter and Facebook to fill in those blanks with something new. So last time I asked for a job, a location, another location, a type of building, a grade in school, an organization name, a noun, another noun, and heavens, yet another noun. And our followers stepped up. Thanks to Melanie, Todd, Keith, Rachel, another Rachel, and Debbie, we've got a paralegal, Vermont, Cincinnati, Ohio, a newspaper office, kindergarten, National Association of Letter Carriers, Chocolate, Dish Towel, Muffins. Now, let's put the pieces together and make Christmas movie magic as I read the synopsis of A Christmas Chocolate. This is the story of Rachel, a beautiful, stylish divorcee who is a talented paralegal, and her young daughter, Melanie. Rachel has had to close her small Vermont paralegal boutique to return to her Cincinnati hometown and live in her parents' former newspaper office. It's an adjustment for Rachel, especially when she runs into her former kindergarten rival, Debbie. Debbie is president of the International Association of Letter Carriers and tries to make Rachel feel as unwelcome as possible. Rachel and Melanie struggle to find their new normal with the help of the chocolate teacher Keith and Rachel's aunt, other Rachel, the local dish towel shop owner. With a little holiday magic and chocolate, Rachel and Melanie find that muffins is where the heart is. Boom, there you go, Hallmark. Tell me you don't have room for a 35th Christmas movie this year. Thank you to all who helped out with this, and if you want to chime in next time, be sure to follow us on Twitter, where we're at ChristmasPod, or find us on Facebook, Can't Wait for Christmas Pod. But let's move on to our final segment, Who Sang It Best? This is yet another listener suggestion. It came from a comment on the website from Brighton, who says, For Who Sang It Best, I submit Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas Time by The Shins or Hanson. It's a favorite song of mine, and I really like hearing these versions which add to it, either through arrangement or literally like with Hanson's new chorus. Sounds like a plan, Brighton. We're going to make this happen. Let's get ready to carry up that sorry let's hear the contestants in this quarter we have hansen and in the other corner the shins Can't wait for ChristmasPod.com and vote on your favorite version of the song. Polls are open now and you can vote once a day, every day. We'll announce the winner on next month's show where we'll find out who sang it best. 
And that's our show. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to grab the recipe for those Russian tea cakes and, of course, vote in our poll. I know saying Russian and voting so close together might be asking for trouble in these times. I love to help with American vote. Get out of here! Uh, anyway, thanks for celebrating Christmas at the very beginning of spring with me. We'll see you next month, but in the meantime, keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2018. Oh. Ho, ho, ho. Thank you for listening to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Or we're available on Stitcher and Google Play as well. If you'd like to leave a comment on this or any episode, go to our official website at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, bumper stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas merchandise all year long. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash can'twaitforchristmaspod. Or on Twitter, we are at christmaspod. Or you could always send us an email directly at christmas at tancast.com. The Can't Wait for Christmas podcast is part of the Tancast Podcast Network. We Wish You a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band. And this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the Accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Kristen Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. Anne is right. Ode to Joy is the final movement of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, making use of words of a ninth... No. 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 I heard it through the Mark E. Vaniers? Oh boy. Why do you make words that are so hard for him to pronounce? He clearly cannot do this. Tim is very reading challenged. I'm also accent challenged. Hey, I heard that. Your H's come and go, don't they? Yes. <laughs> and when my oldest usually gets to pick the next song, he all... Tim is broken. Come back later. Last episode, I talked about how I just left a few subtle decorations up from Crit last. I get angry with myself when I miss it sometimes, and I bark at myself. Like Black Panther. Oh, that's terrible! But what does it have to do with Christmas? He was right to this terrible German accent. Yeah, but sure, even you get not good. Anyway, for the other co-writer, Linda Kaplan that Thaler? Thaler? <laughs> Names! Names are my nemesis! <laughs>